This morning I titled my message, Let Him Reign. Uh, last week we had the hymn sing, but I read a scripture from Luke, and I said, I believe I'm going to use that for next week. We need to let Him reign in every area, every aspect of our lives. I actually had in pre-warned David, but I'm going to break the scripture up. It's quite a long reading, Luke 19, 1 through 27. We're going to read 1 through 10 to, to begin with. I'm going to work on that, and then we'll go back and get the rest of it. Before we begin, let's just go ahead and pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you and praise you. Thank you for Emmanuel, God with us. We thank you, Father, for your Son, Jesus Christ, who came to this earth, took on flesh, became one of us that he would know, that you would know what we deal with on this life, the, the temptations and all those things that come upon us. But yet he was without sin. Father, we thank you for that. We thank you for your faithfulness. We thank you for your amazing redemption, that you have reconciled man unto yourself, your Son, Jesus Christ. And we thank You for Your Holy Spirit that guides us and leads us, Lord God. Whenever we call upon You, we know that You sent Your Spirit to help us. Pray Your Spirit would be present in this place today, that Your Word would be proclaimed, that uh, hearts would be touched and moved, and that Your kingdom would be exalted. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Alright, so we'll begin with verses 1 through 10, Luke chapter 19. Behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus, who was a chief tax collector. And he was rich. And he sought to see Jesus, see who Jesus was, but could not because of the crowd, for he was of short stature. So he ran ahead and climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him, for he was going to pass that way. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and saw him and said to him, Zacchaeus, make haste and come down. For today I must stay at your house. So he made haste and came down and received him joyfully. But when they, that's the crowd, when they saw it, they all complained, saying, He is going to be a guest with a man who is a sinner. Then Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Look, Lord, I give half of my goods to the poor. And if I have taken anything from anyone by false accusation, I restore fourfold. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, because he also is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man has come to seek and save that which was lost. So, I'll ask you, if he has come to seek and save that which was lost, how could he save them if he did not go in to them? They looked and complained, but not knowing that he must go into them, go be with them, if he's going to seek and save that which was lost. Amen? You know, the name Zacchaeus, does anyone know what it means? It means righteous one. <laughs> kind of amazing, isn't it? Zacchaeus means righteous one. But I, I know that there's no doubt that the religious community in Jericho, and probably most of the citizens there, would not have considered Zacchaeus to be a righteous man, would they? As a matter of fact, he said, look at him. He's went to be in with sinners. He went to be with this sinner. You know, not only was he a tax collector, he was a chief tax collector is what the, the word said. So he was a supervisor over the tax collectors. Tax collectors, publicans in those days, they were notorious for collecting more taxes than was required. So let's say, for example... Rome says we are going to tax the people 
5%. 5% of their income, I'm just using, throwing numbers out there. I don't know what the actual numbers was. But let's say Rome says, all right, I'm, we hire all these tax collectors and we're going to charge everybody 5% tax. And anything over and above that you get is yours. So the tax collectors, they might charge 7% or even 10%, who knows? Because anything over and above what Rome would charge would be money in their pocket. So imagine that. So let's say our nation's being run by China. They send in these tax collectors. We're not going to like it. We're not going to like giving money to them. You know, the religious leaders are really, they all oppose the taxes that were imposed on them by the Roman authority because they know that, the, that it was a secular government that supported heathen gods. So they knew that their money was going to be used to support things that they did not condone, that they were opposed to. So that's one reason that the religious leaders opposed the taxes that were opposed on them. You know, we as believers, hopefully, most of us, we have things that we are strongly opposed to, don't we? I mean, I know that I'm strongly opposed to abortion because it is taking the life of an innocent baby. So I'm opposed to that. But I know that the taxes I pay, that there's probably a small percentage of that that goes that actually supports abortion through our government. I know that you know, they're really drawing back the money that's going into the Planned Parenthood, but we know that still a part of it goes to pay for things that we don't support morally, that we are opposed to. You know, wouldn't it be a nice, you know, when you get your tithe envelopes, on the front of your envelope, you can just put general giving or you can put for building fund or you can put for missions or you can put whatever on there. And in the church, if you put it to go to a certain thing, that's where your money's gone. Wouldn't it be nice if our tax forms came and we could earmark where our money would go to? Maybe we ought to send that suggestion in. I wonder if they'll accept that. But it would be nice. That way we would know that our money's not going to support something that we were strongly opposed to. But we elect our officials and we just give in faith. Hopefully they'll spend it in a, in, a, in a right way, right? But, you know, we do pay our taxes because we like to have nice roads to drive on. We like a lot of the programs that help support those that have a heart, can't support themselves, that help the elderly. So we do. They have a lot of good programs, but we are opposed to some, right? So back to my point. So these people were thinking, how could Jesus go in and be in the home of such a traitor? A man that takes taxes from his own people. How could he associate with such people? You know, there was a lot of discrimination in those days. A lot of criticism about the things that Jesus did and the people that he kept company with at times. But Jesus did not concern himself with the criticism of the people or the religious community. You know, they all complained, but he did not let that deter him. And my friends, neither should we allow what others think of our ministry or think of us to deter us from sharing the gospel message for doing the work of the kingdom. We should not let what others think deter us from doing that. Jesus said, the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. And my friends, Zacchaeus was lost. He was a sinner, just as they claimed he was. 
He was a sinner. But here's the key. He sought Jesus. The word said he sought Jesus. He sought to see Him. The Greek word is zito, and it means literally to seek, to seek out. Why was he seeking out Jesus? Well, obviously, you know, he's a tax collector. He's out among the people, and he's hearing all the wonderful reports of this man that is teaching with authority like they've never heard before. This man that is opening blinded eyes and making the lame walk. He's heard of the wonderful things he is doing and teaching. So he's wanting to find out about him. He's wanting to see this Jesus that everyone is so amazed with. But there's something about this passage and Jesus' interaction with Zacchaeus and Zacchaeus' words that I find so amazing. And it's the fewness of words. Is that a word or did I just make that up? It's the few words that are spoken, at least that is recorded in the Scripture. Jesus said to Zacchaeus, Zacchaeus, make haste and come down, for today I must stay at your house. Now I love my red letter Bible, because that way you know exactly what Jesus said, right? Fourteen words. That's all that was there. Zacchaeus, make haste and come down. Then Luke records, so he made haste, came down and received him joyfully. So that was what Luke put in there. Now remember, Luke is always paying attention to a lot of detail. So then Zacchaeus stood up and said, Look, Lord, I give half of my goods to the poor. And if I have taken anything from anyone by false accusation, I restore fourfold. Twenty-five words. That's all. Twenty-five words there. And then at the end of that passage, Jesus said, Today... Salvation has come to this house because He also is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man has come to seek and save that which was lost. So you think, okay, were there more words? Were there more exchange than what was actually recorded here? Possibly, yes. It is very possible. It could be that Luke decided that he would only record the most important part of the, the whole conversation or event where Jesus went to be at Zacchaeus' home. That could very well be. But all we have is this. Those 14 words from Jesus, 25 from Zacchaeus, and then another 31 from Jesus. There could have been more conversation, but we don't know that. So I'm not going to say that there absolutely was, but I can't say that there wasn't. Jesus might have been teaching him about the kingdom of God and repentance and all that. I don't know. But after he gets into the house, Zacchaeus stands up and says, Lord, I give half of my goods to the poor. And you know what? But I can also say this. It could very well have been just by the presence of Jesus being there that Zacchaeus was moved. That his heart was softened. His heart was broken. That he knew that he was in the presence of Almighty God. And it's obvious that there was a change in his heart because he stood up and there was repentance there. There was repentance. Anything that I may have done, anyone that I may have wronged, I'm going to make it right. So my friends, it begins first with seeking and then we see the next step, don't we? It's repentance. And Zacchaeus repented. And I'm sure they did not, they, as in the crowd, did not like to hear that he too was a son of Abraham. 
But Jesus said he is. He is a son of Abraham. Jeremiah 29, 13 says, And you will seek me and find me when you search for me with all of your heart. My friends, I like to look at that as a promise. That's a promise to any who do not know God and do not know His Son, Jesus Christ. That if you seek Him, you will find Him when you seek Him with all of your heart. He will be found. He can be found. So Zacchaeus, we can see it's repentance. But you know, there was another story told of Jesus' encounter with another rich man. Zacchaeus, being a rich man, now here was another one with another rich man. It's in Mark chapter 10, verses 17 through 22. Now as he was going out on the road, one came running, knelt before him and asked him, Good teacher, what shall I do that I may inherit eternal life? So Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good but one, and that is God. Why You know the commandments. Do not commit adultery. Do not murder. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Do not defraud. Honor your father and mother. And he answered and said to him, Teacher, all these things I have kept from my youth. Then Jesus, looking at him, loved him and said to him, One thing you lack. Go your way, sell whatever you have, and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. And come, take up thy cross, and follow me. But he was sad at this word, and went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. You know, both sought Jesus. One climbed a tree to be able to see Jesus. The other came running down the road, and even knelt before him. But why the different outcomes? You know, one decided to cling to the good, cling to his goods. One decided that, oh, I can't give up all these things. I can't go sell all these things. So he decided to cling to his great possessions. But the other decided that he found something that was of greater value than all the things of this world. Didn't he? He stood up and said, I'll give half to the poor. And I'll restore fourfold anyone that I've defrauded. He knew that nothing in this world is of greater value than Jesus' love, than His salvation that He freely gives to all who will receive Him. The forgiveness of our sins, my friends, the hope of eternal life. It is God's reconciliation of man. So now I'm going to move to the second story, if you will, of this passage. And I believe that there's a little bit of a connection between these two, although that is two very different stories. I believe that there could be a little bit of a connection, which I'll get to. So I want to read verses 11 through 27. Now as they heard these things, He spoke another parable. So as Jesus is speaking in the crowd, heard these things... He's going to speak a parable to the people. So he spoke another parable because he was near Jerusalem and because they thought the kingdom of God would appear immediately. So I'm going to pause for a moment. So those that were listening, those in the crowd, and maybe even the disciples, they thought that the kingdom of God would appear immediately. 
They thought they were going to take Jesus, put Him on a throne, and He was going to deliver them from the Romans. Deliver them from the Roman rule and that He was going to rule. So that's what they were thinking. That the kingdom of God would come immediately. Verse 12. So therefore, because of knowing their thoughts, He says, Therefore He said, A certain nobleman went into a far country to receive for himself a kingdom and to return. So he called ten of his servants, delivered them to them ten minas, and said to them, Do business till I come. But his citizens hated him and sent a delegation after him, saying, We will not have this man reign over us. And so it was that when he returned, having received the kingdom, he then commanded these servants to whom he had given the money to be called to him that they might know how much every man had gained by trading. Then came the first, saying, Master, your mina has earned ten minas. And he said to him, Well done, good servant, because you were faithful with very little, have authority over ten cities. And a second came, saying, Master, your mina has earned five minas. Likewise, he said to him, You also be over five cities. Then another came, saying, Master, here is your mina, which I have kept put away in a handkerchief. For I feared you, because you are, a, are an austere man. You collect where you do not deposit and reap what you do not sow. And he said to him, Out of your mouth I will judge you, you wicked servant. You knew that I was an austere man. And that means to be severe, to be stern or morally strict. Collecting what I did not deposit and reaping what I did not sow. Why then did you not put my money in the bank? That at my coming I might have collected it with interest. And he said to those who stood by, Take the mina from him and give it to him who has ten minas. But they said to him, Master, he has ten minas. For I say to you that to everyone who has will be given, and from him who does not have, even what he has will be taken away from him. But bring, out, bring here those enemies of mine who did not want me to reign over them and slay them before me. You know, Jesus in his ministry talks a great deal about money. And we know because the, the word says that out of the treasures of your heart, out of the treasures, the treasures of your heart. So it's what's in your heart. What do you hold dear to your heart? And he knows that a lot of people hold their possessions, their money, their things so dear to their heart is what will be revealed and our lives will reveal it. But this message is that Jesus is sharing here, this parable, is more than just about the minas, about the money. It's about faithfulness. It's about faithfulness because in this passage, the nobleman is Jesus. Because they're thinking the kingdom is going to come immediately. So he's saying, this nobleman will go into a far country and receive a kingdom for himself. So Jesus is the nobleman. And he's trying to explain to them, it's not going to happen immediately. My friends, it's been over 2,000 years, hasn't it? Over 2,000 years ago. Jesus went into that far country. And where's that far country? Heaven. Jesus went into heaven to be at the right hand of the Father. And He has been given power and authority. All power and authority has been given to Him. 
So Jesus is the nobleman. Now he is the one that represents the nobleman in this passage. So Jesus gives them the mina. So he calls ten servants. He gave each of them one mina. Now a mina is approximately, they say approximately, they say it could be 40 to 50 some shekels. And you might, well, why is it approximate? Well, archaeologists have discovered the weights that they would use to measure. Because you've all seen the scales that you would use to measure things out. And they found weights and they'd be marked maybe a mina. And it would be, a mina is supposed to be 571.2 grams. So they've taken these things and they've actually put them on today's good modern scales and determined that they are not always accurate. Off a little bit, sometimes off a lot. And the reason that some of them is off is because they would take the back side of them and chisel out some of the weight so that they would be cheating the people. The people wouldn't know it. So they chiseled the backside out. So they've discovered this through their archaeological digs. So that's why it's approximately. So that's how I'm going to see these two stories tied together. Because here, the first passage, Zacchaeus, tax collector, who knows whether he chiseled out the backside of some of his weights and cheated the people. And now Jesus has given the servants minas to see how they do, how they do in their service of the kingdom. So the servants in this passage represent professing Christians, those who believe on Jesus Christ. He's giving them a mina and says to them, what did he say? Do business. While I am going, while the nobleman is going, while Jesus is going, he's saying, do business. But they're not to do business for their own gain. As the story reveals, he gave them the mina. The mina belongs to the nobleman. He's going away. You do business for the kingdom. My friends, professing Christians, we are to do business for the kingdom of God. Not for ourselves, but for the kingdom of God. So he goes away and comes back. The first man says, You're a mina, which is only 50 shekels. It's not a great amount of money. That's something to think about. It's not like he gave them millions of dollars. He gave them a little bit of money. Because what did he say to them? You have been faithful with a little. Now I'll put you in charge of a lot. So my friends, whether we've been given a little or a great amount, it's all about the faithfulness. The faithfulness of what we're doing with that which He has given to us, which actually belongs to Him. All that we have actually belongs to Him. Are we being faithful with it? The professing Christians. Are we doing the kingdom work? And what is the kingdom work? The story also reveals that. They're given a mina. They're to bring more in, right? They're to take it and do business. The one produced ten. Jesus says, well done, good servant. The one only produced five. But again, Jesus said, well done. You see, it's not about the amount. It's not about the amount that He has given us. Not one is greater than the other. The, 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 the minus could even represent the talents, the gifts that God has given us. And they we're all different. But He's saying, do business. Be you. Be who you are. Don't try to be the guy that has got ten. Because he received the same reward, the guy that got five. Well done. 
You be faithful with what God has given you, whether it is a great amount or a little amount, whether it is an amazing talent or a little talent. You are to be faithful with who you are, with what He has given you. Be you. Don't be somebody else. But the most important thing is that we do business for the kingdom of God. To bring in, to increase, to multiply. The only one that didn't hear, well done, is the one that did nothing. Are you doing nothing with what God has given you? Are you doing nothing to advance, to expand the kingdom of God? Because even the third one that did nothing was a professing professing Christian is what he represented. He too was a servant of the nobleman. Jesus is a nobleman. So are you that one that does nothing? My friends, we want to hear, well done. I was listening to a a sermon and the guy spoke of a a thing and I I didn't write it down, write it all down, but he said there was a a Captain James so-and-so in 1776 that was shot by the accidental discharge of his rifle that was in the hands of his beloved servant. And below was the inscription, John 19, Well done, thy good servant. Hopefully that they didn't mean that the servant did well by shooting his master. (laughs) Well done, thy good servant. We all want to hear Well done, thy good and faithful servant. My friends, what is the kingdom of God? We heard Jesus teach so much about the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is at hand. We're still waiting for that kingdom of God, right? We are still in that time period while He is away, while He is with the Father. But what is the kingdom of God? It is where everyone is living 100% for God. Everybody. That's what the kingdom of God is, where everyone is living 100% for God and in God's ways. My friends, evil will be removed in God's kingdom. In God's kingdom, there will be no evil. There will be no need to have locks on our doors. There will be no need to have police officers. There will be no need to have doctors even. But evil will be completely removed in God's kingdom. We are to work for God's kingdom, preparing, bringing in, waiting for the master or the nobleman, Jesus, excuse me, to return. But what are we going to hear? What are we going to hear when he returns? Are we going to hear, well done, good and faithful servant? John Wesley wrote, Get all you can without hurting your soul your body, or your neighbor. Save all you can, cutting off every needless expense. Give all you can. Be glad to give and ready to distribute, laying up for yourselves a good foundation against the time to come that you may attain eternal life. 1 Timothy 6, 17 and 19 says, Command those who are rich in this present age not to be haughty, nor to trust in uncertain riches, but in the living God. To trust in the living God, who gives us richly all things to enjoy. Let them do good, that they be rich in good works, ready to give, willing to share, storing up 
for yourselves a good foundation for the time to come that they may lay hold of eternal life. My friends, Jesus wants to reign over every area of our life. Everything that we say, everything that we do, everything that we have, He wants to reign over it. Over it. He wants us to be faithful with all that He has given us. That's truly what this whole passage, the second half, is about. Faithfulness. Faithfulness to Him. Faithfulness to the kingdom of God. Bringing into the kingdom that we may hear, Well done, thy good and faithful servant. Amen?